You're listening to a Shockcast original. Shock. So we are back again this week with Wonder Women and this time around we have got someone very special here today with us. She happens to be an activist, a co-founder of Undi18 and of course she was also listed under Forbes Under 30, the recent list. So today with me is Kira Yusri. How are you doing Kira? Uh, I'm great, thanks. All right, so Kira, I think it's really nice to also have a conversation with you because you have a very tight schedule. It's very hard to also, you know, catch up with you outside of work, right? Uh, I try my best to not be so unreachable, but sometimes life happens. All right, so thank you so much today for joining us. So I think we're going to straight dive into the very first question. So Kira, when we were, you know, looking up your work, we also noticed that if we were to look back into your childhood, you first started off, you know, where your mom was also a person who used to fight for equal rights for the underprivileged community. So why don't you take us back all the way to the very first day when you decided to form Undi 18? How did it all start for you? Um, I, so I think Undi 18 was started when uh, Tarma and I, my co-founder, we were studying in the United States. Um, I was studying uh, communications and gender women's studies in Michigan. And we were going through a very interesting period of time in, I think, was it November 2015? Eh, no, 2016 court. 2016, yeah, because uh, that was when uh, Donald Trump became president uh, in America. And also Brexit was happening just across the, um, the ocean. So I think at that point, uh, because of the US presidential elections, there was so much of political conversation just going around in on campus, um, you know, at home, online. Um, you know, we had friends. I had friends who were much younger than me who were discussing about immigration policies, uh, education policies, and they've been voting for like multiple times at that point. And they were younger than me. And I was like, I think 23 years old. Um, so I think for me, it was it was a realization that, you know, why, why does a country like the US have such a um, robust environment for young people to speak up about politics? And in Malaysia, it's such a taboo topic for young people. And of course, one of the reasons being is that uh, there's AUKU or UUCA, the University University Colleges Act, but we also don't allow young people to vote. And I think when we did some research and compared, you know, Malaysia's voting age to the rest of the world, we realized that Malaysia was in the uh, minority when it comes to the voting age and limitations to voting. And I think, you know, we, we realized that actually when you have citizens who are voters, uh, you know, they automatically have a larger stake in their democracy. They automatically have a stronger voice uh, when they want to put forward their demand, which is why you see candidates like um, uh, like AOC, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez in New York, get such a huge like you know, following because she's very... Uh, you know, social media savvy, young people look up to her and also you slowly realize that politicians are trying their best to win over the youth vote. Meanwhile, in Malaysia, at 21 years old, you know, if you're lucky enough to go to university, 21 is the age that we begin graduating from university and then when you go to the workplace, um, unless you actively, you know, uh, discuss about politics or you, you work in politics, often play, oftentimes this is like corporates and private businesses, speaking of politics is not something that's encouraged. So what happens is that you have a society that has a very low political literacy. And that's from that's why you know we, we thought about, okay, you know what, let's just push for 
lowering the voting age so that um, you know Malaysians can have a bigger say in in our elections and also governance. Yeah. So having that lack of knowledge is one thing, but then there is the other part of it as well, where I think a lot of people, especially yeah, put aside youths, even people in general, at at an older age, they do have that fear of speaking up. So I think at the start when you first came up with this idea, of course you had uh, always had your focus on the larger picture and you knew exactly what you wanted to do for the country as well. But at the start of your journey, was it always, you know, you always had the support from the very first day or was the journey much, you know, lonelier? Because there were times, I'm sure, people who also expressed how, you know, fearful they were to even step up or to join hands together with you under Undi 18. How was that whole journey like? Um, I don't think for me it was so much of like I knew this is what I wanted to do. Uh, I think when I when I left to the US, I actually didn't have planned to even come back to Malaysia because I was not on scholarship, so I had no obligations to return after graduation. Um, but while I was in the US, I met other Malaysians and I met a lot of uh, Malaysians who were on government scholarships, you know, multiple different types of scholarships where they had to go back to Malaysia, but they also were also they were also very passionate about contributing back to the nation. You know, a lot of our conversations were often like, okay, you know, how do we go back and change things for the better? How do we actually influence um, you know, uh, politics or influence society. And I think for me, that's where I was inspired to also reconsider my decision and sit and thought about, like, okay, you know what, actually, you know, what is the point of staying on in the US when I'm not actually from the US? Um, when for me, you know, I feel like I was privileged enough to, uh, you know, sort of venture out and study, I should go back and contribute. So that was one of the reasons why I, I decided to come home. And we weren't even working in Undi 18 full-time until 2020. So Dharma and I both had different jobs. Uh, so I was working in education. Dharma was working in um, a small business company, a small engineering company. And we just did our own thing. And Undi 18 was just something we did on the side, like a hobby. So, you know, on our, in our free time, we would go out and try to engage politicians. We would run social media campaigns. Uh, we would do online uh, engagement. This was before before COVID, right? Where people were not used to the idea of like watching Facebook Live. You know, they were not used to like going on Instagram to find out information. So from the very beginning, we utilized social media uh, to our best ability. And that's how we managed to increase the influence of the campaign. All right. Yeah. Okay. So the journey, you know, starting off from like a student movement when you were living abroad to what it is now being a registered organization. So what are the challenges that you face at this point as of today? Well, today, I think the challenge would be how do you operate within political instability, right? Because I think the work that we do is uh, political advocacy. And uh, and uh, Tharma and I, we did uh, we started doing Unditin full-time in 2020, which is where Sheraton Move happened, and also the pandemic. So it's like a range of new problems that come up, right? Previously, we had issues of maybe traveling around to do outreach now is like um, you know we we're not just are not able to travel because of covid but we have a whole new government right and a government that's not interested in engaging young people and and i think especially it comes right after 2019 when the constitutional amendment uh, happened uh, you know people were very hopeful for young people we were very hopeful that we get a voice at the table only to have everything changed uh, when charter move happened which means that our political scene is working in entirely new landscape and we have to sort of like re-look at our stakeholders we have to re-look at our partnerships and trying to understand and you know consider who do we want to invest in when it comes to building relationships uh, for the future so I think that's one of the challenges that we have but also I think uh, because it's a pandemic and I think what's happening now is that just giving everyone political fatigue 
um, it's also very challenging to keep up team morale. So I think that's one thing that we're trying to um, focus as well is that uh, how do we actually um, continue to inspire and make sure our team is, is doing okay, right? But I think our team, uh, because we deal with frontline politics and politicians, um, we, we know more than like our other friends, right? And sometimes knowing more makes you more depressed about the information about what's happening. Uh, so it's about managing that as well. Uh. Yeah. So I think one way that we're trying to cope is that, um, you know, we do mental health days, uh, we do game hours and stuff like that. Just so people, even though we can't meet each other physically, we can't do business as usual, we try our best to remain positive uh, despite everything. All right. So it's a still a very, you know, nice way to go forward, but by making sure all of you are still, you know, uh, well taken mm-hmm. care of in a way that even mentally you know how you can keep this going even in the pandemic right so speaking of that i think it's a very positive movement whatever that uh, you and your entire team is doing but of course this can also lead to criticism sometimes and i'm sure you are also very aware at times that people may come with different opinions on the table and there are times you are also wanting to ensure that your cause and and your battle and this journey it stays true to itself especially with undi 18 trying to move forward and to implement things here but of course there are negative feedbacks at times so we picked up this one opinion piece on Udusan alright which was on the 21st of May 2021 and some people are also a little bit you know sceptical there are times where they say that is it just a political game or is it really for the development of the country? Because there are still people who believe that maturity would mean that a person has to spend a certain amount on planet Earth to say that they are in their right um, mindset to even vote. So they, they don't have that thing about, doesn't it doesn't matter what age group they are in, whether it's 21 or 18 for them. If it's 18, it's still lack of maturity there. So this is what we picked up from the opinion piece. So what is your... A take on this or rather how do you respond sometimes whenever you have this sort of negative uh, comments that come your way um i think many people will always have differing opinions on any issues right and i think it's whether as an as an activist is that how personal do you want to take those feedback or, or comments in my opinion most of the times what i realize is that a lot of the comment they give is not necessarily based on facts or or they don't know the full picture or of, of the facts before commenting on it. And for that, for many of these instances, I don't even blame them because, you know, we're not necessarily brought up to be critical thinkers because of the way our education system is built. So for me, I do empathize a little bit, a little bit <laughs> until it's, it's rude. Um, but I do empathize and I understand um, where they're concerned or more importantly, maybe their fear comes from, right? But I think it's very common for people to fear change uh, because with change comes uncertainty. So for me, I always look at the argument or look at the comment and see, you know, is there a way for me to respond logically, right? So I think when it comes to uh, arguments against Undi team in particular, it's always questions about maturity, questions about education level, questions about preparedness. Um, and I think my usual response to that is that, you know, if we really were to have all these criteria or yardsticks to measure um, someone's um, quote-unquote intelligence when it comes to voting, um, we would have exams to vote, right? We would make every kid that goes through SPM to sit through a, I don't know, election preparation paper, right? But we don't do that because you don't measure, you don't sort of like allocate someone's right 
according to their level of education or their level of income or their level of maturity. Because in our, we take the stance of uh, voting is a human right and not a privilege, right? So you shouldn't have to earn the right to vote, to choose your leaders, right? The fact that you are a Malaysian, the fact that you have lived experiences should be enough. Uh, and, and it is enough, right? Uh, according to our constitution. It's only that because uh, in our constitution, we also have something called the uh, Akta Dewasa, meaning that when you turn 18, you are legally recognized as an adult, meaning that you have uh, responsibilities. You know, you're held accountable in the eyes of the law. If you uh, to commit a crime, you will not be charged as a minor, right? So in that sense, if the government sees you responsible enough to be held account- accountable, why can't the government also recognize um, your responsibility to vote, to hold them accountable? So I think this is the perspective that we always try to present to people to make them understand why voting shouldn't be tied to an arbitrary age like 21, which actually, fun fact, is, the, is actually the age that the British used to knight people right, uh, back in the medieval times, except that, you know, times have changed. The UK has amended the constitution, but Malaysia has not. We're still stuck on this um, very colonial uh, age range, age limitations, just because we don't want, I don't know, we just never considered amending it. So I think that's just, you know, when we point out these parallels, point out these um, comparisons, and we also, you know, point out how Malaysia fares when it comes to promoting youth political participation and also um, our voting age, you know, people then tend to see our our logic and argument and, and they and they change their mind. Yeah. Very, very nicely said, because I think a lot of people, you don't blame them because they have that fear. Mm-hmm. And I also think that sometimes they, they are still in that thinking of if something isn't broken, why fix it? And they're yeah. so, you're so used to the norm of you vote when you're 21, you can, you can do certain things when you're 21, but nobody wants to really go down and question it. No, that that should not be the case and it's time for us to also progress. So 18, mm-hmm. like you said, it's it's a lot of things that really has to come into play as well and given, given, uh, given enough uh, opportunity for them to also be a lot more vocal about their thoughts. And recently, of course, we are all very aware about the recent protests. So speaking of fear and conquering that, the protests in Dataran Merdeka and what we also noticed is that it went on very smoothly. There were no clusters or any of that. So why don't you share with us a little bit of what took place for the preparation and what happened behind the scenes. Yeah, so I think the group that organized the Lawan protests, uh, we banded together in March, right after actually the announcement of the delay of Undi 18. Um, that's when we organized the first protest, um, which is the Undi 18 now protest, right? Uh, we went to protest in front of parliament. We had about 200 or 300 young people and we demanded that parliament to reopen to debate the delay of Undi 18. I think the preparation for the bigger Lawan protests in July was quite a was a very interesting experience because I think protesting in COVID sets a whole different it gives you a whole different perspectives on how to organize a safe event, right? Um, you know, but however, the good thing is that there are many global examples. There are many countries abroad actually that facilitates safe protests. I think countries like Ireland, um, the government actually gives guidelines on how to protest safely because they value freedom of speech and freedom of expression. Um, so we actually adapted these guidelines along with medical professionals. So we actually worked with doctors as well to formulate our protest SOPs and to formulate our guidelines to ensure that it's safe. And I think it showed when until now, there's not, not just no cluster, but there is not a single recorded case uh, from the protest. So I think another, I guess, core idea that went behind the protest is that how do we make sure our voices are heard? 
right? Because uh, you don't want to have young people just protesting, but you want them to also understand the root cause of the problem and why going to the streets was the only option at that point in time. Um, and I think at that point in time, we, we did not have any other platform to speak up because, you know, even if you want to uh, bug our MPs, my MP is an opposition MP, right? Um, even if I tell her, like, okay, you need to talk about this, 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 she's just going to say that parliament is not open. So they can't even do their jobs, right? So when politicians are not allowed to do their jobs, um, we felt that going to the streets was the only way to pressure and emphasize the importance of opening up uh, institutions. You know, I think when political instability and party hopping, all of this happens, which by the way, party hopping is completely legal, right? I think many people are very angry about it, but it's actually completely legal and constitutional. Um, so however, that doesn't mean that it was ethical. And I think that's up for a different conversation. But the thing is when these things happen, people lose trust in public institutions. People lose trust in parliament. They lose trust in elections. They lose trust in our politicians. And it's a shame when that happens, right? Because these institutions are meant to serve as check and balance and to provide a fair playing ground for politicians to debate it or, or, or to keep each other accountable. So when these institutions are not independent, such as parliament, you have no choice but to sort of like rebel in that sense, to make sure that people understand why reopening an institution like parliament is so important. So that's why, uh, you know, even before the bigger Lawan protests, a few of the protests by SSR focused on parliament itself because it's actually a very important institution. And to close it down because of a, you know, so-called political emergency makes it very, um, it, it's very illogical and it's very irresponsible. Um, so I think that's why many young, many people, especially the young, are at a point of desperation where we did not see any other option to speak up because there's, there's only so much online campaigns that you can do. Hence why, you know, I think the, the street protests we felt was the only message that was powerful enough that people in power would pay attention to. And they did. They did by using police. Uh, they, they did by using police reports and police questioning to prevent it from happening. But I think uh, what just happened that people got very angry about it and people want to voice out about it in their own way. So on one side, you have the awareness that you really wanted a strong message to be out there. But the mm-hmm. core of it, like you said, back to the youth, something that you have been speaking about from the very start about how we have to educate the youth enough to ensure that they know exactly what their rights are as well, right? So speaking of education, we also know that recently you have come up with this idea of the Day One Muda Malaysia. It's a leadership development program. So for any of our listeners who are not sure exactly how to go about this, or maybe they're very interested in also joining in to this leadership development program, why don't you share with us a little bit about that? Sure. So Day One Muda Malaysia uh, is like a follow-up program from, uh, I think last year when Undi 18 co-organized uh, Parliament Digital, which was a uh, digital program to sort of like emulate real parliament. It was the first in the world where it's youth-initiated and youth-led. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we had like half a million like, viewers on live stream uh, at that point, uh, which I think really sort of like, I don't know, I hopefully, you know, add pressure to government on how they can actually do hybrid or digital parliament sittings. So that was like a one-off event over the weekend. And ever since then, actually, so this Dewan Muda Malaysia is about almost one year in, in the works where we, I, I, you know, we plan, we research, how do we create a proper uh, long-term leadership development program that young people can not just learn parliamentary processes or debates, but they can also 
explore policy making uh, within the program, right? Without, you know, signing up for a master's program or without working with the government. It's something that you can do while, uh, you know, studying or working your full-time jobs now. Um, Because I always believe that if young people want to become more educated, we want to be more critical and we want to hold our policymakers accountable, we have to understand policies. Um, And it's not enough to just being emotional about it. We also have to understand um, the facts, the numbers, the costs, um, so that when we advocate for issues, we know the big picture and we know what are the details that people need to understand when it comes to implementing certain policies. So Dewan Budaya Malaysia sort of like um, encapsulates all of that uh, values uh, that we want to impart towards the next generation of leaders. Um, so we've, uh, we've selected 222 young people out of, I think, about two 3,000 applications. Uh, and they all represent their own constituency. So, uh, so, you know, it's a very rare opportunity that, you know, an online program, you know, or a but youth program. It's a very program, fresh actually, idea on top of that, yeah? Yeah, it, it's, 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 so it's, it's very, um, I guess, new to see that uh, how a youth program actually penetrates every single corner in Malaysia because we have every single constituency represented, you know? So we can't just say, we can't even say like, um, you know, this program is mainly for KL people or Selangor people when you literally have Trunganu participants, Kelantan participants, Sabah Sarawakian participants as well. Um, so I think that's one of the, I think, unique components of the program, uh, which, uh, you know, I'm very excited to see their journey over the next two years. And because we're partnering with uh, UNICEF on this project, um, you know, some of the, the workshops and sessions are also available to the public. Um, so if there's anyone, you know, listening and they want to also experience Dewa Muda Malaysia but didn't get in, a lot of our workshops are actually streamed on uh, Dewa Muda Malaysia's Facebook. So they can actually still tune in to certain webinars and panels to sort of like uh, learn as well uh, certain parts of the program yeah, and get involved as well. So within Dewa Muda Malaysia, we, not, we don't just have like a mock parliamentary makeup, but we also have 22 mock cabinets. So we have a youth cabinet, uh, Cabinet Muda Malaysia within the program, and we have 22 cabinets. And because this is, um, you know, a cabinet made up by Undi 18, we took the liberty of like, you know, amending and also reducing the number of cabinets that we need because we don't think Malaysia needs a very big cabinet, right? Um, so one of the interesting cabinets, uh, I guess, uh, ministry that we created was the Ministry of Children and Youth instead of the one that we have now in, in Malaysia, which is Ministry of Youth and Sports, right? Um, because we feel that like this is a lot more relevant and we want to center children and youth as key stakeholders for the future. Um, we also have the Ministry of Climate Change, Ministry of Justice and Human Rights, you know, just to look at, emphasize how these areas or these sectors are also very important considerations when you want to govern a country. All right. So it's a very fresh idea altogether from this. But I think most importantly, it comes back to that message of how knowledge is power, right? Even if Mm -hmm. if it's a youth that is trying to understand or to go forward and to really understand what their rights are, or even if it's a politician that's wearing a different hat, enough of knowledge has to be there in order for them to also understand what exactly they're fighting for, right? So I think this is an excellent program and also it's easily accessible, yeah? The involvement from every every, uh, every youth out there from all walks, it's easy easy for them to also join in, yeah? Since like you said, it will be streamed online as well. Yes, so it's very accessible. Uh, you know, when we do parliamentary sittings or that, we also include like um, sign language interpreters, we include translators, so that we want to make sure that, you know, people don't feel left out when it comes to policy discourse. Because I think many times people perceive it as a very, 
exclusive environment, right? But we want to break down these walls and like, uh, you know, just include more people in the process. So we try our best to make all our sessions bilingual. Um, we try to make it as diverse and inclusive as possible. And whenever we can ensure that, you know, um, everyone who participates are able to have um, takeaways from it. All right. So, Kira, mm. today we spoke a lot about uh, Kira at work and Kira with Undi18. So, now I'm very curious to know as well, what is your typical day like when you're not working? What are your weekends like? Because even if, let's say, anyone were to go over on your social media or, let's say, after you know being listed under Forbes under 30, if we were to find out what exactly does Kira do besides work, why don't you share with us? Because even I'm very curious to know, in fact... I think um, for uh, for me, I I try my best to not work on the weekend, but sometimes it's unavoidable when you do programs with uh, with kids and 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 youth. Um, but I think a great I think for me at least, um, you have to take care of yourself and you have to take care of your mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are times where I just turn off. I don't um, turn on my phone. I try not to read the news every night or something we call doom scrolling. You know, because I think the, sometimes the more the longer you are on Twitter, the the more emo you get with like so much despair. Um, and I think it's okay, and we try to advocate this as well to to you know put yourself first. And I think this like this is a concept that many advocates probably don't practice as well, and it's it's also very challenging for me. I think I'm looking at my calendar and like you know I've been working for the past like five six weekends uh, nonstop, and you know couple that with occasional police intimidation and stuff like that. You know you just can't get a break. Um, but I think you know, it's important to take a step back sometimes. So for me, I just unwind by, I don't know, I read, like, I go on Reddit, I watch Netflix, you know, just like any other young person, I guess. Um, but, but you know, I think I've, I'm learning uh, that, you know, certain activities like uh, journaling, meditation really, really helps with, um, you know, centering yourself, especially when it comes to very, like, um, turbulent times. Yeah. Okay, so here's like a fun question. Between you and Tarma, who's the one who is a lot more intense um, I think, oh, that's a very good question. <laughs> I think on work-wise, I'm more intense. Um, I, I run most of the programs in Undi 18, which means I have to be very uh, focused and uh, I have to pay a lot of attention to details and I manage a lot of our program stakeholders. But Dharma is a lot more... Um, I think outspoken and extroverted. So he gets very energized by, um, you know, speaking to the public, um, engaging people through sessions, uh, which sometimes I just don't have the energy to do. So I think we sort of like balance each other out in a sense. Uh, and, very and, safe and, and I think answer. That's probably yeah, why but I think I'm going to finish your sentence for you. I guess Kira, you are the one who's a lot more intense than Tarma. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's a lot more relaxed than me, that's for sure. All right, nice. Okay, so before we wrap things up here, well, today we are also aware that, you know, we have a recent cabinet um, which was announced, the new lineup. So moving forward, what's next for Undi 18 from here on? Yeah, I think Undi 18 continues to uh, advocate for the implementation of our um, our reform, which until now, two years later, is still not it's still not in action and young people are still denied the right to vote. So I think we will keep pressuring on this area alongside other institutional reforms, right? We've been uh, involved in campaigns for recall elections, uh, women representation, youth representation, even environmental change as well. Um, and I think for Uni18 at least, our main focus is that how do we build more inclusive platforms for uh, young people to participate in, no matter what uh, political ideologies that they have, right? Because for us, we want to center more policy discussions rather than just partisan politics. And I think there's definitely a huge space now where young people are very tired of 
relying on politicians and they want to take their own action to to make a change and make a difference. So I think that's where we're focusing our energy on. All right, then I think this entire session here today has been very informative, especially for people who are still very you know, new to this whole idea of how can I go out and really step things forward if at all I want to. And I think, like I said, from the very start, you have always been very bold. You have gumption in you and we wish you all the very best with this Thank entire you so journey. All right. And of course, we also would want to know what happens next with Undi 18. So all the very best to you, Kira. And thank you so, thank much, you so much for joining us.